Hey, it's Jen Garrett here, and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. I've helped thousands of people to develop their own personal game plan to achieve that next level of greatness. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies of professional athletes, Fortune 500 executives, and successful entrepreneurs to elevate your hustle and get you across your goal line. So get ready. It's your time to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball community for quite some time, I'm glad that you're here with us today. And I'm just going to put it out there that if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review. And if you're on Facebook, please also join us in the Move the Ball Facebook group to be a part of the Move the Ball movement. Now, today, I've got a wonderful guest here with us, so get ready. Inside the huddle with us and ready to help us to move the ball is Tyrone Hughes. Tyrone is a former NFL player who played college football at the University of Nebraska, and he was drafted by the New Orleans Saints in the fifth round of the 1993 NFL draft. After playing for the Saints for a number of years, Tyrone also played for the Chicago Bears and the Dallas Cowboys. And in 2015, Tyrone was inducted into the New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame. Tyrone, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Jen. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. I'm really excited about our conversation today. So where I want to start things off is going way back to you playing football back in high school. So you played cornerback until your senior year where you switched and played on the other side of the ball. So you were on offense and you had great performance, ended up being Louisiana Offensive Player of the Year and the Athlete of the Year. Can you talk to us about that transition and adapting? Because it's very different in some regards, playing defense and playing cornerback versus switching to the other side of the ball. So talk to us a little bit about that. I didn't play both ways in high school. I played both ways in college. I was the offensive player of the year, but again, everybody was surprised because it was like a one-hit wonder because I only played maybe three games my junior year of high school. And going into our senior season, my offensive coordinator was Burton Burns, who's been the running back coach at Alabama for some time with Nick Saban, and now he's the running back coach at New York Giants. But he was my offensive coordinator, and he read a book called The Delaware Wing Tee. And he implemented that offense specifically for me. I was a wingback. They knew I was fast. They knew I was quick. And they figured out how to get me the ball. But my senior year, we had, out of the 22 starters, 20 of them were seniors. And we had a dominant team. I mean, our offensive line back in 1987, 88 was when the NFL went on strike. So our offensive line, you know, they had the scab team for the NFL. And everybody was saying that our offensive line could have gone play for the Saints back then. So in high school, we were pretty dominant. Didn't win a state championship, got knocked out in the quarterfinal rounds. And, you know, after getting knocked out, I didn't want to basically just say, leave it at that as far as being a football player. You know, I was an athlete. I actually went to St. Augustine High School, which is a very well-known high school in Louisiana and actually throughout the country probably throughout the world, St. Augustine Purple Knights. We're like number one in the state, top seven in the country with guys playing in the NFL, a plethora of celebrities. You know, Avery Johnson went to our school, who used to coach with the Mavericks, Donald Royal, who played, you know, as far as basketball guys. So, I mean, we've had a number of stars, celebrities that have been there. 
current guys on the NFL, Leonard Fournette, Tyron Matthew, both attended my high school. So me not wanting to just end my career as the offensive player of the year in, in football, I initially went to St. Aug to play baseball. So I started in baseball all three years, my sophomore, junior, and senior year. So I still played baseball. I was on the basketball team. I ended up being the athlete of the year for playing three or more sports, but I don't really count basketball because I really didn't play. I was mostly on recruiting trips during my basketball time, but went to the playoffs. After basketball season, it became baseball season, and I did baseball, and my defensive back coach, who was also my geometry teacher, was the track coach, and so he wanted me to run track. And I hadn't ran track since like playground. And he told me he wanted me to come out and run track. And I told him no. So he told me if I didn't run track, he was going to fail me. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute, you can't do that. So we worked it out with the track coach and baseball coach to where I was doing both practices, one maybe three times a week, the other two times a week. I think I was going to track practice three times a week and baseball practice, I think, two times a week. But I ended up for my sophomore year going from starting in center field to starting that shortstop my junior year to pitching and shortstop my senior year. And so everything just worked out for me that that one all of that was in one year. And so to go from the offensive player of the year in football to athlete of the year doing three or more sports, uh, ended up going to Nebraska. So, I mean, it was uh, everybody said it was a one hit wonder, but. That it wasn't a wonder afterwards. <laughs> and as someone who played many different sports, I mean, you've got that competitive athlete mentality from different angles, right? With these different sports. What are some of the things that you've learned that have helped you to be successful as you went into college to the NFL and then just to be successful in life from being a competitive athlete? One of the things, Jen, is for me, I didn't have the knowledge of the game as much as I do now, but I didn't have the knowledge of the game. And then definitely not as much as kids today have knowledge of the game. I mean, kids today are like working out in high school for the NFL. I mean, we may have, and everybody say that, you know, if our team back in high school, as dominant as we were, if we actually worked out and lift weights on a consistent basis, we couldn't have been touched. I mean, the way these kids, a lot of these kids are built now, like my junior year in high school, my, the way I was built my junior year of college. Sure. So, I mean, it's amazing how far along they have come, but I was actually in it just for the fun of the game. I really played, and people are surprised when they said it, I played because it was fun. I didn't have aspirations going to the NFL. I was going to college because my parents going to make sure I went to college. But I didn't even think about a college scholarship for football simply because I was out there just having fun. I didn't really understand about college football and scholarships or what have you until the third game of my senior year. We played against a school called Kennedy. And every time I see somebody from Kennedy, I always tell them thank you because they helped make me who I am off that game. And I always tell you know how Al Bundy used to always say he had his four touchdown game against whatever high school it was he played with. You know, I I had my four touchdown game against Kennedy. I had a kickoff return, a punt return, a run for a touchdown, and a pass for a touchdown all in the first half. And after that game, I got the Gatorade Player of the Week and started getting letters from all of these different colleges and was just totally surprised. And from that point on, it I mean, it just got better and better. And how did you come to choose Nebraska? Why Nebraska? 
my high school coach, Burton Barnes, he went to Nebraska. But myself, another guy that I played with, David White, who was a tight end with St. Aug in high school, but they ended up converting him to an outside linebacker at Nebraska. And then our fullback, Benson Hawkins, who ended up going to a junior college and then coming over to Nebraska. All three of us ended up going, but it wasn't Tom Osborne, who was a great coach, loved him to death. Tom was this real Christian guy, but you had to be careful talking to him because he had a PhD in psychology and he would always be analyzing everything you say. So it was very seldom any of the guys who actually knew him wanted to really talk to him because something was up, you know, if he wanted to talk to you. So you had to be in and out. But it wasn't Tom Osborne, even though he came in, my mom loved him. Ron Brown, who was our Shiva coach at the time. Again, two great Christian guys, but the guy who actually sold Nebraska on me was this guy named Jack Pierce, who was a great recruiter for Nebraska at one time. They ended up letting him go, which was really devastating for a lot of us. But Jack got guys from Louisiana, Texas, Florida, California, New York. You know, everybody's coming from all these different places with great football programs, and they're going to Nebraska. You know, and I tell people all the time, back then when we were in the Big Eight, which was, I always say, you know, Big Eight was just as dominant as the SEC is today. Everybody was coming to the Big Eight. And, you know, I'm coming in as the MVP of the state of Louisiana. Well, they had the MVP from other states as well. So it was all about competition. You really have to excel that if you was a starter. And share with us, what were some of the things that you did? How did you have to shift? Like I like to tell people, the habits that you have in place now have gotten you to where you are today, but to get to where you want to go, you're going to have to change those things. So talk to us about some of those things that you changed going from high school to college so that you were able to excel against that tougher competition. Well, I think one of the things was just learning, you know, if you go into a great program like that, Everything is already there. All you have to do is follow the program. Some of the other schools didn't have that or may not have that. These times now, most schools do, but you have a program and, and those seniors or those upperclassmen are going to teach you or you're going to end up following what they have done and the way it had gotten done to be successful. When you see that success and you're like, well, hey, if I want to be successful as well, then I need to follow and do the same things that they were doing. And as the years progress, then you start talking to the guys that are behind you. And that was one of the things. And one of the hardest things is, first of all, as a high school kid, you're leaving home. Now you're on your own. That's a big transition for a lot of kids, especially if they're away from home in another state. That is a huge transition. And so I always would tell kids, you know, hey, if you're going to college, try to go with someone. You know, if there's another guy on your team and y'all can agree that, hey, both of us want to go to this college, then I would suggest that because you don't want to really go by yourself to college. Although you're going to meet friends, it's a hard transition. So it's easier to do when you have somebody with you. Now, what also helped me and David, you know, going to Nebraska was the year before Nebraska got the offensive player and the defensive player of the year, which were Mickey Joseph and Reggie Cooper. And it was just a year apart. So we knew those guys, especially Mickey, because we played against Mickey. He was at Shaw High School. He was in the Catholic League against us at St. Aug. So we knew each other very well, went on our recruiting trips, met, met everybody. So it wasn't as hard for us to fit in because we had someone to show us around. Sure. And as guys are thinking about going from 
high school to college, college to the NFL. I have a number of players that I work with in college and getting ready for the draft and going into the league. What are some of the things as you look back upon your career, what are some of the things that you know now, some advice that you would pass on to guys that are trying to have a successful career in the NFL? Well, the first thing is guys are training in high school to go play in the NFL. And the problem that a lot of these schools are having, other than the portal, which is the trip right now, the transfer portal, but everybody wants to come in and be a starter. Everybody believes they're that guy. And so if they're not the starter, then they're looking to leave. Well, that's what competition is about. You have to be able to make sure that you beat out that other guy and make sure that you're the clear winner to be the starter. But a lot of guys, especially these bigger programs, only going to stay there maybe at the most their three years they have to go three years and then they're out looking to go to the nfl well back in the day when i came out you know i had a couple of seniors in front of me or whatever it was beneficial for me to redshirt and the one thing that redshirt helped me do was get my books and not have a lot of pressure on me that first year to worry about playing because i knew i wasn't playing because i was redshirting and now once those seniors are gone i come in in the spring and now I'm competing against some juniors or what have you, and I end up starting. So, but yet I'm still a freshman class-wise. So redshirting was not an issue or not a problem back in the day, whereas a lot of these guys, they want to come into programs right now. Hey, I want to start and I want to go play for, to, in the NFL. But yet you're forgetting about that degree or that education. And so that's one of the things I think they really need to focus on because you never know with injuries or what have you, whether it's college or in the NFL, how that's going to turn out or how long you're going to last. Absolutely. And the statistics get smaller and smaller in terms of the average length that a kid plays in the NFL, right? It used exactly. to be 3.2 years. It's now about it's two years. Two yeah, it, it, it's not very long. So for most of these young men, they're not going to retire from the NFL and have you know a bunch of money and can just kick back and relax and, you know, be an investor and, and hang out. And, that, and that's the big misconception is that, first of all, let me say the NFL basketball is totally different as far as pay, less players. But because you played in the NFL, oh, you made all this money and everybody believes once you retire, then you start collecting your pension. No. First of all, the average player isn't going to make it past 27 years old, 26, 27 years old. Right. The average player isn't going to make it. You're going to have two to three guys per team that's going to make a whole bunch of money to where once they're done playing, they don't have to work anymore. Just live off of their investments or what have you. But the average person playing, once he's done playing football, he either has to own a business or he has to work for a business because you don't make a lot of money. You make a lot of money in those couple of years that you play, but you don't make enough money to last you for a lifetime to where you don't have to work anymore. And if you're smart, you're putting majority of that money away because your retirement comes just like everyone else at 55 or 65. And the problem with that is with us is a lot of us are not even living long enough to see it. Right. And I, I think we see a shift now. I think more and more younger men are starting to realize that, hey, I better start thinking about my future because this NFL, I mean, people joke around that the NFL stands for not for long. But it's true. It is definitely true. It is true. And so I think more and more people are starting to realize, okay, I can't hang my hat on this. I need to think about what else can I do? I'm not going to go blow all my money, right? I'm going to be smart about it. You see different articles. I mean, with social media, there's so much stuff pushed out to us on our phone and we see different players that are 
are being smart and like Alvin Kamara, right? Not touching his money and being diligent about planning for the future. And I think it's important for young men to really think about what is my playbook for success going to be beyond the NFL and my football career. That is totally something that they definitely need to think about. Another thing is I would tell them, if you can, I ended up coming back home, but whatever college, especially if you were a superstar at that college, go back and live in that town because there's going to be a whole bunch of opportunity for you from alumni after you're done playing, whether you finish right after college and don't go to the NFL, or if you finish from college and then go into the NFL, still go back and visit as often as possible to your college. Make Keep your face around there. Stay important to the university because those alumni will take care of you once you leave or are done to where you can have great success within that college town. Oh, absolutely. I think it's important. Great point about just staying connected, staying networked. And, and I'll say, even if you're not an athlete, right? It's important for all of us to stay connected to our alumni association, to people in the network, and to not lose sight of that because that's where the opportunities come the most from that we really enjoy. It's not just about, well, let me bounce from one role to another and see what I can settle for. It's about leveraging your network so that you're creating a career that you're really excited about and that you find fulfilling. Definitely. Definitely. So I want to go back to your time at Nebraska. So, I mean, you had a great college career. You led the Big Eight Conference and kickoff returns in each of the last three years of your career there. You finished as the school's record holder in kickoff returns and second all-time in career punt returns. And I could go on and on about the stats that you had. But, I mean, obviously you were successful there. What were some of the things that you did so that you could be successful, that you could pass on to other people? Because as you know, it's not just, I mean, talent is important, but it's not just talent, right? There's other things there that help. It's not just talent. It, it, it was, it, well, at Nebraska, it was about, because again, I played wingback, but where I shine having those records was as a punt and kick returner, which was something that I had done since playground. So I, I was a natural at it. There was no fear, no thought process of, can I do this or can I, you know, a lot of guys, um, may do it once they get to college just to be on a special teams, but definitely, you know, everybody's is taught, Hey, whether you, once you get to the NFL, you have to play on some type of special team. So that going into the NFL, that was not even a, a, um, that's what actually what I was drafted for was to actually be their punt and kick returner with the New Orleans Saints. But that was never a fear for me to play as to be a returner because I had always done it. And so being able to do it on, and once I got to college, um, I mean, again, it was just, it was just more of a natural, it just, it was still things I had to learn, but I'm going to tell you the biggest thing that I would tell guys, especially, um, skilled positions, cornerbacks, receivers, uh, running backs, go run track, you know, and I know it's hard and some coaches don't want you to do it, um, actually on a college level. Uh, because obviously it interferes with spring ball. But if you can, go run track. And one thing we learned was we had a cornerback, Bruce Pickens, at Nebraska, who um, his senior year, he ended up running track and ran a, a blazing time at the Combine. And so my junior year and senior year, uh, Coach Osborne decided to let me, myself, Mickey Joseph, and a couple other people, um, a couple other guys, go out for the track team. To where, you know, I mean, our junior year, we spring ball, we already know he ain't changing the offense. So we already knew all of that. But it is so much of a difference 
And I think everybody saw that when, um, uh, what's the guy just played for the Seahawks, the receiver, um, DJ Metcalf. He just ran uh, against some Olympic guys or some guys who were trying to qualify for the Olympics a couple of Saturdays ago, and he ran a 10-300. Now, in any other realm, and especially in the realm of football, that is great. That is blazing speed. But he came in last place, running the 10-300. And the guys who beat him ran 10 flat, 10 ones, Olympic-type guys. But it is a total different beast on that track than compared to what you do in football. Because a lot of guys, and you have all of these trainers out here where they're teaching these guys, you know, the ladder drills for the quickness, the hips, the explosion, um, all of that is, is great. But to get that actual turnover, to get that actual, you need to be out on the track. And it, and it, it loosens you up as well and it stretches you out to where you're, you're, you're a little bit more flexible because of obviously of all of the weights you have to lift in football. But it, it definitely is a, is a game changer because coming back off uh, to our spring game after I finished ran, running track, all of the cornerbacks saw the difference because I was just running by them. Without a doubt. I mean, it was no hesitation. I mean, it, it, I went from running a 4-4-40, a 4-4 um, uh, electronic, I'm sorry, a 4-5 electronic 40 to a 4-4-0 electronic 40. And that was, uh, uh, you know, the equivalent, I think, was like low 4-2s, 4-3s or what have you. I mean, high 4-2s, low 4-3s. So um, my senior year, um, I ended up running uh, 4-3-1 and a 4-3-5. So, I mean, definitely, guys, anybody's out there, if you have an opportunity to run track, go, even if you don't make the team, because I was fortunate enough that I made our big, you know, we were in the Big A Conference. I made our, you have to run to actually have, to, for times, to actually make the, either for the 100, the relays or whatever. So I, I did the 100 and I did the relay, the four by one. So I made that team. But um, even if you don't make the team, just going out there practicing with those guys, is 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 made is a major difference that everybody needs to do. Yeah, and I've had a number of guys on the show that have done well because they have ran track as well, and that increases their performance and their speed. So I think that's that's very important, a great suggestion. So let's transition and talk about you, know, you get drafted with the New Orleans Saints. What does that feel like for you, you know, being from Louisiana? What does that feel like for you being picked up by the Saints? And then talk to us about the biggest difference for you going from college to the NFL. What was like that big eye-opening thing for you? First of all, I think, Going to the combine, I ran a four or five after being preseason picked top five in the country going into my senior year. And that was because I ended up learning that your body peaks about every six weeks. So what happened was I actually overdid my training and I didn't run well at the combine. So when we had our pro day at Nebraska, I came in, I was sick, had a temperature of 102 and our trainer George Sullivan took me out. He was like, look, I can hold you out of everything, but you know you got to run your 40 because you didn't do well at the combine. Everybody knew how fast I was. On that pro day, I came out. I ended up running a 4-3-1 and a 4-3-5. Everybody projected me. The projections were second to third round pick, and I ended up going in the fifth round. But I ended up going to the Saints, and it was kind of ironic. because I think it was the Cincinnati Bengals 
called saying, hey, stay by the phone. We're next up. We're about to pick you. We're thinking about picking you. So I'm waiting. I'm saying, okay, thank you. I hang up the phone like, God, I do not want to go to Cincinnati. So they called and I'm looking at the thing on ESPN, the bottom line tick on ESPN. It says Cincinnati Bengals selected so-and-so. So then the very next pick was the Saints. And I get a call from the Saints general manager saying, hey, Tyrone, congratulations. You're a New Orleans Saint. And I just started crying right there because I'm like, I'm going to be playing at home. I mean, and that was just the best thing to me from being at St. Augustine High School, Offensive Player of the Year, Athlete of the Year, and now to return back home to play for the hometown team. It was really amazing. So when you went into the league, what were some of those differences or eye-opening things for you? It was like, oh, wow, this is how the NFL is. Well, first of all, obviously, as a rookie, you're going to get all of the grief from the veteran guys, but that's kind of understood. You kind of knew you know, that was how things were, had to carry their pads off the field or had to take them out to dinner, you know, had to stand up and sing during training camp. And one of the things was that, you know, just in training camp alone, it was six weeks of tour days back then. And that's why I say how many times have really changed. We had six weeks of tour days and we were in full pads of the full six weeks of tour days. We we're in full pads every day. The full six weeks. And everybody used to say, you know, how is it that the Saints used to start off so good, five and those, six and those, seven, and then end up so bad? It was because guys were getting tired, were blown up from those six weeks of training camp. Mm -hmm. You know, we would hear stories on how Jerry Rice and the 49ers back then, they would probably maybe practice two weeks with pads, and then that was it for the rest of the season. They, they won championships. So obviously something was working, or there was a correlation there. That was a major eye opener for me right there. But then also having an understanding of what my role was. I'm there, you know, doing the preseason games. I'm doing the punt and kickoff returns. The opening game of that, uh, what was it, 1993, was in Japan. It was like that preseason kickoff. We went to Japan and we played against the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, December of 1992, I had just left that same Tokyo Dome because we played something called the Coca-Cola Bowl in Japan, where we played Nebraska, played against Kansas State. So December of 1992, I went over to Japan and played in the Tokyo Dome. And then July of 1993, I went back to Japan and played in the same dome. And both times, I scored on a punt return. Oh, nice. <laughs> so everybody was like, you better not, you better not race him. You better not play him in uh, Japan. <laughs> <laughs> but once, I mean, again, this is the opening game of the season, start off the season. and. I had the punt return, and I actually, that was also the first time I ever muffed a punt since, you know, being even in Nebraska. I never dropped a punt, so that was the first game I dropped. I muffed a punt right after I had ran that punt return back, but I did recover it. And so that following week, I make the team, and that very next week, we're going and getting ready to play a game against whoever our first game was. So we're down to the 53-man roster. So we're at practice. The ball is rolling on the ground. I pick it up on a punt, and I'm running on the sideline, and I lean. There's like two or three guys coming at me, and I lean into them to distribute the blow as opposed to taking the hit. And so I get hit, obviously knocked out of bounds. My special team coach comes running over. What the hell are you doing? You don't take that hit. You get your butt out of bounds. And I'm like, I got like Scooby-Doo on. I'm like, huh? 
Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, you want me to go out of bounds? Because at Nebraska, Tom Osborne, whether you were a running back, quarterback, receiver, he didn't want you going out of bounds. He always wanted you to initiate the contact, regardless of how big or how small you were. Mm-hmm. He wanted you to initiate the contact. So I told him that because I said, well, coach, you know, at Nebraska, Coach Osborne wanted us to initiate the contact. He said, let me explain something to you, son. He said, at Nebraska, y'all had a hundred and something kids. He said, here, you it. Get out of bounds. I said, you ain't got to tell me again. (laughs) (laughs) So let's transition beyond football. So you you play in the league for a number of years, and now it's time to transition beyond the game. Talk to us about that transition and what you're doing now. The transition was hard, and I think it's hard for a lot of players because you are conditioned from a little kid that, one, you know, as far as no crying, you got to be physical about everything, you can't show any emotions. And so from a little kid, until you get done playing football, that's all you know, and that's how you look at life. So when you make that transition over to, I guess, whether it's the business world or even dealing in relationships, it's hard to make that life adjustment away from the game or to have that mindset change over to something else because that's all you know and that's all you've been taught. And people just naturally assume, oh, well, it's life now. Well, that was our life. you know. So now we have to make a big adjustment, not only financially, because that is the biggest issue, but not only financially, but mentally to be able to change and have an understanding on how to deal with things. We're so used to keeping everything bottled up and not showing the emotions or what have you to where it becomes a depressing situation for you at times if you're not on that track of where you want to be or where you feel you need to be. And that's one of the things I think a lot of these young guys need to know and need to start preparing. Like we're saying, a lot of them are, but most of them are not ready to be able to deal with life after football. And it's a long life that you have left after football that you have to deal with. Absolutely. To your point, I mean, there are more that are thinking about it now, but there's a lot that are still not thinking about it. And so I think that hopefully as we continue on, more and more guys will start realizing, hey, I need to prepare for this while I'm in the NFL, not wait until my time is up. And then start thinking about what I'm going to do. And so for me, I get a lot of young guys that reach out to me about how I can help them. And I think it's great when someone reaches out. It's like, yes, you're thinking about it when you should, not when it's already too late. I think it's very important for I mean, We just had this path to the draft series that I do on the show every April. And so, you know, I stay connected to all those guys, make sure that they're, you know, thinking about what's beyond football. Their agents are great agents. So they're also preparing them, which is important as well. Because, I mean, like we talked about earlier, that career is very, very short. And so you have to think about it now. And it has to start in school. Those colleges have to stop with the physical education or the, you know, brass cutting or whatever. Really start putting these kids through financial classes, business classes, technology classes. Those are the things that they're going to need to get out once they are done to really be able to apply themselves to be ready to come into life compared to just say, okay, y'all done. See y'all later. Right. Right. So talk to us about what are you doing now? What's keeping you busy these days, Tyrone? First of all, Nebraska and Oklahoma are playing again this year. So for the last two years, I've been working on this big eight conference commemorative jacket because I was trying to think of a way to basically say, how do we pay homage or 
how does everyone remember the Big Eight? Like I said, which was just as dominant as the SEC is today. You know, and everybody, well, y'all only had Nebraska and Oklahoma. Well, hey, all they got is Alabama and whoever else. So in SEC. So, you know, but I designed these jackets, which came out really great. So if you go to my Facebook page, Big or just look up Big A Commemorative Jackets, you'll be able to see them. But it's anybody who attended a Big A school. If you go over to my Facebook page, you'll see Big A Commemorative Jackets. A lot of guys are ordering them, trying to get them before this Oklahoma Big A game. Secondly, I'm promoting for this product for a company called Casper. The distributors here in Louisiana are called NDS, National Disinfection Solutions. But they have, I think it's the best safety protocol you can have in the country right now because they go in the air-conditioned ducts. And what they do is they oxidize the air. So basically turn it into like a hydrogen peroxide. So it's better than a air purifier. There's no chemicals, no mist, no sprays or anything. By changing that air-conditioned air into the peroxide, it's disinfecting the air, but also disinfects walls floors, tables, countertops as well. These units are essentially disinfecting while people are in the room talking, which is the best thing that you can have. And then one more, working with another company that has a chemical that completely eliminates H2S gas in the oil and gas industry. And that is real huge because with H2S gas, basically they say, if you smell it, you're dead. And so anyone out there who knows H2S gas, they will understand what I'm talking about. And so these are the best two products right now that is definitely the best things going for the environment across the country. Got it. Being green and moving the ball, helping to uh, stay clean and, and green. So <laughs> appreciate you saying that. There you go. So Tyrone, what I want to do now is I want to take you through my two-minute drill and just ask you some fun questions. Okay. So the first question is, what did you want to be when you were 10 years old? I wanted to be a football player, you know, love the NFL, but 10 years old, I was playground ball again, having fun. Got it. All right. My next question is, who would play you in a movie about your life? Morris Chestnut. What is your favorite vacation spot? I don't really have one spot. I've been to Cancun, Barbados, a couple of places, but actually. I would say Vegas. <laughs> okay. Vegas has changed a lot over the last a year. Lot. Too. A yes, lot. Yes. Yes. Um, my next question is, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, Bluebell Vanilla. Good choice. How about, what is a pet peeve of yours? People talking loud in public and quiet places. In other words, like in a restaurant or um, a movie theater, when they just talking loud or talking on the phone, that is that really irks me. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, I can. Yes. My last question is, you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? Uh, Warren Buffett. Okay, Warren Buffett. From the financial aspect, would love to know what he's doing or how he got to do the things that he's done. His philanthropy, would love to know that. Secondly, would be definitely Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, from a spiritual side and just knowing the things that he did. I love his speeches. And then obviously, I well, I'm going to say obviously. And the third one, I think, would definitely be uh, our ex-president, Barack Obama, just to know the things that he did and how, what it took for him to run the United States for eight years as a black man. Sure. Those are three great choices. Sounds like a great dinner party conversation, for sure. Yes, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tyrone, as we look to close the show, tell people, how can they follow you? You've talked about your Facebook page already. Where else are you on social media or how can people stay apprised of what you're up to? 
Well, I have the Tyrone Hughes, Mr. 347, which was the NFL record I broke, his Facebook page. I'm on Instagram, and I'm not on that much, but I do post on Instagram. I want to say that's Saints HOF33. And then uh, on Twitter at Tyrone Saints 33 or something like that. I'm not on Twitter and Instagram that often, but I do post on them. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And we'll be sure to include those in the show notes as well. So people can connect with you and see what you're up to. And Tyrone, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Jen, for really having me. I enjoyed it. And thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.